You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you to open your Bibles this morning to our first reading, which is from the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thus far, our reading from 1 Peter 3. We'll turn back a few pages in the New Testament to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Read a few verses there. The verses which follow our text this morning, but which are very crucial to understanding our text. Titus chapter 2, the verses 11 through 14. So this follows the instructions that Paul has given to Titus about teaching the older men and the older women and the younger men and the slaves. Then he goes on here as we hear the word of the Lord beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, And to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Our text this morning is Titus chapter 2, the verses 3 through 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there are some events in your life that change the, the course of your life. Change everything that happens from that point forward. Marriage is one of those events. It changes everything for you. It changes your identity. You're no longer a single person. You're now married. 
changes your priorities going from that point forward. You can think of having, especially your first child, as a family changes the direction of your life. You probably have different events in your lives that that show that, that bear that out, that an event can entirely change your life. For myself, I think of becoming ordained as a minister of the Word. No longer am I free to do as I wish, in a sense, but rather I'm to serve God's people with His Word. The beginning of the service, we sang the song of Mary. Think of how Mary's life changed when that angel came to her and announced that she was going to bear a child who would save God's people from their sins. And she was going, the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would give birth to a son, a son of the Most High God. Some events in your life can dramatically change the direction of your life. And there are some events in history which also dramatically change the course of history. There are some events in history that affect us today, the way that we live. There are events in the history of, of our nation, Canada. There are events in the history of our church, our churches, the Canadian Reformed Churches. And there's one event which dramatically changes everything. For all of God's people. It's the event that Paul speaks about in Titus chapter 2, the verses 11 through 14. It's the grace of God that brings salvation, which has appeared to all men. It's the coming in the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His perfect life. It's His suffering and death. The resurrection from the grave. Because Jesus Christ has done this, because He has come to be the Savior of the world, changes everything. Changes the course of history. Changes the priorities of our lives. And that is very clear. And ought to be on the forefront of our minds as we consider our text this morning. Because in our text this morning we find teaching. And teaching within the church is never just mere teaching. It's never just a mold into which the life of every Christian must flow. It's never just a a prototype. It's never just a, a weight that every Christian must carry as we find that sometimes those teachings be go against popular culture. It's never a, a shackle that every Christian must wear. Especially in our times, some of these instructions in chapter 2, and maybe most particularly in these verses 3 through 5, they they seem like remnants of a bygone age. They seem like some set of values which no longer fits today, but belonged maybe to some other culture or to some other time, and so they're instructions that we can set aside. They're not the way that women are to live today. But the Apostle Paul isn't just instructing Titus to sort of 
shore up the, the, the ideas in their, their certain cultural context. Titus makes sure that, that everyone in the church sort of conforms to this set of principles because, you know, that's the set of principles that are popular today. And so we want the women to, to fit with that. No, instead, what Paul is doing, and it's very clear from verse 11 on, what Paul is doing is setting the lives of women in the church, women who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ in light of the great work of Jesus Christ. He's saying women for all time until the Lord Jesus returns on the clouds clouds of heaven have a calling, have a task, have a purpose in this life. This is the lifestyle and these are the priorities that fit with that purpose, with that calling and with that task. Because of Jesus Christ, because of the reality and the certainty that Jesus Christ has come And because he has redeemed you, women of the church, he has a calling for you. It's a special calling. It's a beautiful calling. The grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ. And since the grace, the love, the kindness, the mercy of God has appeared in what Jesus Christ did in dying and raising to life, therefore, this is how we are to live. This is how the older men are to live. This is how the older women, the younger women, the younger men are to live. Jesus Christ has changed everything for this world. Jesus Christ creates a new people. He's renewing a people. He creates new lives. He takes lives that were once dead and he makes them alive. He gives new priorities. He teaches a new way of relating to God and to others. Once you know that Jesus Christ has come, once you place your trust in him, once you know that he's redeemed you from your sins, your life will never be the same. Paul isn't listing some ancient Roman Stoic values. He isn't sort of shoring up the Greek Epicurean philosophies for women. He's not teaching traditional values. He's not teaching family values. These are Christ's values. These are God-pleasing, grace-centered, spirit-empowered priorities for the lives of old and young women who know the grace of God who know what Jesus Christ has done and who live in light of his glorious return every day in hope. And so what Paul is doing in this passage and what Titus is to do as he brings this message to the women of the church and what the word of God comes to us today as is teaching, teaching women how the grace of God changes them. Teaching women how the grace of God changes them changes their character, changes their wisdom, and changes their witness. So first, how the grace of God changes the character of women. And notice as we look at these character qualities, 
The older women are to be reverent in the way that they live. That Paul includes this word likewise. So he's continuing on from the older men. And so there's a lot of, a lot the same. In these instructions to older women, there's a lot the same in the lives of, uh, in the instructions to older men. When we considered the older men, we considered that there's a real temptation for older men to think that they don't really have value in this world anymore. They're, they're past the age of their prime. They're past their, their greatest years of energy, exertion, and, and value in terms of the economy around them. And so they can think that they're useless. Or, on the flip side, maybe they've been very successful. They say, I've done lots of great things, and now I've earned the right to sort of withdraw, let things be. Church of Jesus Christ doesn't need me anymore. I've put in my time. I'm going to sort of retire coast for the rest of my life. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, no, men, you have a purpose. You have a calling for the church of Jesus Christ. Same with women. In in these days, apparently, it was quite popular in the in the plays that they put on, these Greek plays and, and Roman plays that were so popular in the culture. It was very common to make fun of older women. The older women type person in in the dramas, the tragedies, the comedies of those days was always someone that they poked fun at. She was always drinking too much wine, talking about everyone. She was the town gossip. So there was this picture that older women had these these character traits about them. They too could feel as though they were not important, only to be made fun of in their old age, or that they had spent their life raising children, making home, being very busy, and now they could relax, enjoy the finer things of life like wine, and let the world carry on with their business. But as the Apostle Paul passes these instructions on to Titus, he says this is not the way it is to be. In the church of Jesus Christ, everyone is necessary. Everyone has a special place. Older women have a special place and a calling. They have a vital place and play a vital role in the life of the church. From this time until Jesus Christ returns or he calls them home. And so the message to the older men was, be who you are. Jesus Christ has come. He has redeemed you. He has clothed you with robes of righteousness. He has given you value and purpose. Now live that out in your lives. And it's the same message to older women. Jesus Christ has come. He has redeemed you. He has clothed you with his robes of righteousness. He has given you value and purpose. Now live that out in your lives. And the first aspect of that could not be more profound as he says, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live. It's a very interesting word that he has there. It's a word that it's a compound word. And if you put it together, it means live in a way that's fitting for the temple. Live in the temple. Live in a way that's fitting for the temple. Live your life, everything that you do, everywhere that you go, as though you are living in God's temple. In short, who lives in the temple? Who serves in the temple? The priests. They work at the temple. Paul's saying, live your life like a priestess. 
You've been given this special task. You've been clothed with these special robes. Now live your life like a priestess. Live a life before the face of God in constant worship of him, conscious of his holy presence and his power and your purpose and your task. I think that that understanding, that seeing your life as, as lived in God's temple gives a sense of the calling of older women. They have this priestly calling from the Lord Jesus Christ and their whole life is to be carried out in the service of that calling. Older women especially, they're freed in a lot of ways of the constraints that younger women face with husband, with children, with family. They have a lot of time, a lot more time. They have a lot more freedom. And so Paul says, use that freedom in service of God, just like a priest serves in the temple. That's a very positive calling. It's a beautiful one. It sets the whole life of an older woman in its proper context. Paul also has to warn about some negative tendencies about old women. And that is the ones that he follows this with. Not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine. As I said, this was the character that was given of older women in the plays of those days. The women of the church, redeemed by Jesus Christ, are not to be like that. They're not to be slanderers. Slander is speaking about others with malice intent. They're not to be addicted to too much wine. Older men and the elders were called to practice self-control, but it it sounds like in Creed and perhaps in that culture in general, there was a certain lack of self-control, especially in the area of drinking wine. These women were wine bibbers. They would sit around and, and drink wine. It doesn't seem strange at all that slandering and drinking too much wine are put side by side here, because that's probably what happened in the same context as these older women, perhaps with not much to do, would get together, spend their time drinking wine, talking about things, inevitably getting into slander and gossip about others in the church and out, the whole community, passing around the latest. A delicious morsel of gossip here, a delicious taste of wine here. And they would spend the rest of their lives living like that. The perfect tonic to cure a pointless and dull existence. And so you can see the temptation that the older women have then as well as now. But if you line up those two vices, you can clearly see the difference between that slandering and, and drinking too much wine and living like a priestess. What would you think of a priest serving in the temple who, who going about his work does nothing but sit back with his friends Drink a beer. Talk about the latest. Talk about everybody walking in the temple. Oh, do you know what she's doing? You know what she's up to? You know what that guy, you know, you know what's in her past? You know what's in his past? That would be completely unbecoming of a priest serving in God's temple. He's got a purpose and that's not his purpose. So for the older women as well. Stark contrast and difference between these two ways of living. 
So older women, Jesus Christ has a calling for you. He has enlisted you into his service. He has enlisted you into his priesthood to serve before him. It's a a beautiful and special task. Jesus Christ has given up his life to fill yours with meaning and value and purpose for every day that you live, every breath that you take to be lived in joy to his glory so that you can glorify him with every breath that you take until the day he returns or calls you home. As priestesses, so we move to the second point. As priestesses, one of your tasks, one of your greatest tasks is to be teachers. You're to be teachers of what is good. That is, you are to take the wisdom that Jesus Christ gives and pass it along. The primary audience for your teachers is to be the young mothers, the young wives. It's very interesting that Paul doesn't tell Titus to teach this group. Titus is to teach the older men, the younger women, the younger men. But there's no instruction for Titus to teach the younger women. He tells the older women to teach the younger women. The question is why? Why is this? Well, there's two reasons that seem quite clear just from thinking through this. First reason, possible reason, although Paul doesn't say it, is that this may be a real area of temptation for Titus. As a a young minister himself, maybe spending too much time teaching the young mothers may be an area of temptation for him, or at least may be an area which will bring him reproach in the outside community as they see this young man constantly going into the houses of these young mothers, spending time teaching there, but they don't know what's going on inside. And so to be above reproach and to keep himself from temptation, Titus is not to give himself to teaching the younger women. But maybe even more pertinent, the older women are simply more well-equipped for the task. The life of a young mother is is not one that does well with, with general directions, general truths about this and that. Rather, it's a time of life when you're, you're really wanting practical advice. You need practical advice. Isn't that true, younger mothers? How much time do you spend on Google looking for practical advice? You're, you're searching because you've got this baby in front of you, or you've got this meal to make, or you've got this other concern, and you're wondering what to do. And so you go to your computer. That's what we do these days. We go and we search for real practical advice. Don't give me your general truths about these things. I need something that's going to help me now. Well, Paul says to the older women, you've been there. You've lived that. Pass that along to the younger women. Give them real practical advice. Something to remember for us today, perhaps for the younger women as well. Maybe you're prone to go to Google for the answer. Maybe consider going to the older women in the congregation who have lived there, who have been there, who have built up this reservoir of wisdom that they can pass along to you as you're looking for that valuable advice. So what is it that the older women are to pass along? Well, there's much more here even in this uh, one verse than we have time to really speak about today. And so I'll stay on the level of the general 
And we'll leave it up to the older women to pass along the specifics therein. So, women are to be lovers of husbands and lovers of children. Lovers of husbands and lovers of children. There's, it's actually one word as you put them together in the, in the original. To love their husbands and to love their children is one word. A, a husband lover and a child lover. That's what younger women are to be. It's a priority for their lives. And as every younger mother knows, it's, this is really easy to do. To love your husband and love your children. Children are always so lovable, right? Always listening to everything that you say as you give instruction. And mother, how may I please you today? Husbands are always so a building and encouraging and, and, and speaking of the value and the worth of the work that you do every day, all night. Probably, actually, it's because for the life of a young woman, it's hard at times to love your children constantly in your face. It's hard to love your husband as he has priorities that draw him away or as he doesn't affirm you, perhaps as he ought or as he could every day. And so, Paul says, teach these younger women to love their husband. This is their calling. They have received the love of Jesus Christ and they are to pass love along. Not some general idea of love, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, I love my neighbor. That's easy. Love my children. No, that's not easy. Love my husband right now. Please, that's the last thing I want to do. Actually loving real people, real children, real husbands, that's difficult. That takes wisdom. So the older women are to pass along that wisdom. Now, as an aside, we should say a thing or two about the life of a woman and the the priority, the value of marriage and, and bearing children. It seems that Paul recognizes two things here, that marriage is a high ideal among young women, and that, that it's good. It's good for women to be married. And he recognizes that most young women will find themselves in this place. It's an ordinance that goes back to creation. Now, where does this leave the, the young, unmarried women? Well, Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. It may be the ideal for most, but it's not the calling for some. In the church of Jesus Christ, there is place, and we need to recognize that, especially in a, a culture and a society that, that values marriage and that values family and children. We also need to recognize that in the church of Jesus Christ, there is a place and a calling for a woman to be single, to live her life in the service of the Lord as a single woman. And so please, if you, if that is your calling, that is what, how the Lord has directed your life. And don't feel left out here as though there's no place in the church of Jesus Christ for you. It's not true. But Paul is addressing the general truth that most women will get married. And the same goes for bearing children. Some couples will not have children because of the way the Lord leads their lives. But most will. So the general instruction to love husband and to love children applies to most. If you have a husband and you have children, you're called to love them. Love them with the love 
that Jesus Christ has shown to you. You're also called to be self-controlled and pure. Self-control, as we've spoken about it before, we've seen it already several times in this book. Self-control speaks of careful, deliberate living that consciously applies the work of Jesus Christ to every decision, every thought, and every impulse. That's self-control. That was a long definition. Careful, deliberate living, very conscious of the world around you and what you're doing, that applies the work of Jesus Christ to every decision, every thought, and every impulse. Self-control. Walking wisely in this world. Purity is the evidence of that self-control. Purity is the outflow of that self-control. It's a lifestyle uncorrupted by the presence of, of blatant and unrepentant sin. The younger women are also to be homemakers, to be busy at home, as it says here, to be homemakers is how the word fits together in the original. Now, how this lands on the ground for every husband and wife is for every husband and wife to determine. But a priority for the woman is to be busy at home, is to be a homemaker. That word is oik urgos, oik urgos. Oikos is home, urgos is work, deed, make. So make a home. Be a home maker. That, that word has, has come to have a certain resonance in our culture, perhaps especially if we think back to, to previous decades. That word had a certain resonance. It's a resonance that gets cast off in our day, but it's a resonance, or it's a word that we in the church need to hang on to. Maybe it's been filled with some values that don't necessarily fit, but it's a word that we need to hang on to. For a woman to make a home for her family. Now, just some general things about this. We can't biblically press any idea that it's wrong for a woman to work. There's no, there's no instruction about that. There's no command about that. We can't press that idea that it's wrong for a woman to work. Also, we can't press the idea that women are called to do the same things as men. That's the idea that the feminists today try to, to teach, try to conjure up. That women are called to the very same things as men. They're, they're no different in any way. They have the same priorities. They have the same abilities. They have the same calling. They ought to be on a level plane. They ought to be just like men. Is sort of the refrain that the feminists will teach. That also cannot be defended biblically. God has created male and female. He's created them differently. And he's appointed them to different tasks. And one of those tasks for a woman married to a husband is to make a home. And so, dear sisters, homemaking may not look the same today as it did in Paul's time, or as it did in 1954, or 1978, or 1983. It's not palace making. It's not museum making. It's not center spread and good housekeeping magazine making. But it must Look like homemaking, making a home for your family. Jesus Christ calls younger women to make, to, to, to create a place of safety and comfort and joy for husband and children. It's going to look a lot different from one family to the next. It's based on personality. It's based on time of life, based on lifestyle, all sorts of different things that feed into that. But what it must be is a home. 
safe, happy, comfortable place for the family. A place for them to live and commune, to serve the Lord together. A place called home. Younger women are also called to be kind. Within this husband and children focused list, Paul includes the priority of kindness. Why? Well, if you think about the context that a young woman lives in, perhaps you can realize why. Probably because of the nature of husbands and children. They're not always the easiest people to work with. They're prone to self-centeredness. They don't show the appreciation they ought. They frequently get on your nerves. The demands that a young mother faces in the never-ending onslaught of service mixed with sleepless nights makes kindness one of the very first things to go. You can be busy with all your tasks. You're going to get this and this and this and this done. And the first thing to go off that priority list is the kindness that comes along with it. Paul doesn't speak about getting all those things done, but he does give a priority to kindness. Live in the grace of God, Paul says. Live every moment, every day in the grace of God, knowing what Jesus Christ, knowing the love and the kindness that God has expressed to you, to this world, and sending his son Jesus Christ, and fight every moment to be kind, to show that kindness in the way that you live. Learn to fight and to hold on to the kindness and love of God our Savior. And finally in this list, he says, teach the younger women to be subject to their husbands. This is not a very popular conception today. It's not translated here, but it should actually be uh, to be subject to their own husbands. That also comes in Ephesians 5, their own husbands. The word for own in the Greek is idios. Okay, so young women are to be subject to their own idios, their own idios husbands, not someone else's idios husband, but your own idios husband. The women are to be subject to their husband. This is not a very popular idea teaching today. It's viewed in our day and age as a decidedly negative thing. This is bad. This is bad for people. You should not tell women to do this. It's bad for them. It, it, it destroys their self-esteem. It makes them into bad people, makes their husbands into bad people as they lord it over their wives. Even Christians can be somewhat embarrassed by this instruction or choose to ignore it altogether. Perhaps they picture that worst-case scenario of a husband who, who domineers or even abuses his wife. That's completely not the picture that's in view here. In Ephesians 5, Paul places the wife's submission in beautiful terms. Comparing it to the relationship between Christ and the church. That beautiful of relationships. And there he also spends most of his time instructing instructing the husbands in how they are to love. These two things complement each other. Yes, for the younger mothers, they're to be subject to their husbands. And at the same time, their husbands are called to love them. Women are to be subject to their husbands, even in difficult circumstances, as Paul writes about in 1 Peter 3. If your husband doesn't believe... Show the grace of God by being subject, by being submissive to him. In light of the coming of Jesus Christ, as Paul sets this relationship between husband and wife in in its place within the light of the coming of Jesus Christ, 
Paul's saying women are to display in their marriage what Christ-like submission looks like. Remember, Christ is the one who submitted to the Father. He submitted to the Father. Women then are to be living displays of how the work of Jesus Christ changes the orientation of a person's life from self-interest and self-orientation, selfishness, into a life that's characterized by faithful service and obedience. Jesus Christ came and, and in faithful service and obedience won salvation for this world. Now wives can come, changed by the grace of God, can live their lives in faithful obedience and service to bring glory to God. And as Peter says, even in some cases, to save their husbands as they bear witness to the work of Jesus Christ. Dear woman, this is not about enforcing some traditional paradigm or suggesting that men are better than women. It's not at all. It's completely not. This is about learning and growing in what's godly and good and showing forth the transforming power of the gospel in your life. And it may be worth quickly giving a gentle reminder to our older women that these instructions are to be passed on to the younger woman in light of the work of Jesus Christ. So these are to be done in that same spirit of love and mercy, grace. You too have been shown grace by God and Jesus Christ. That's a deeply humbling thing. But it also makes us bold. It teaches us how to live. This is what the gospel does. Over and over and over again, as you live in light of Christ's death and resurrection, in the hope of his triumphant return, it changes you, teaches you, so that it changes the church. So that, it affects the church's witness to the world. It's our last point. What does it mean so that no one will malign the word of God? Well, some commentators say that probably Paul is speaking about the Jewish community in Crete, and the Jewish community might have had some ideas about how a woman should live from the Old Testament. And when these women became Christians, they, they cast all that off and they were living wild lives. But this whole book is not really focused on, on that Jewish uh, perspective, but rather this whole book is focused on, on the outside world. It's focused on the Gentile world. It's, it's focused on verse 11, the grace of God that has appeared to bring salvation to all men, every tribe, tongue, tongue and nation. There's a real evangelistic thrust throughout this letter. And I think it's that evangelistic thrust that's here as well, so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, it's true that today in our culture, people are very likely to malign the word of God because of what it says here. When we live this way, as we teach these things, people in our culture will malign the word of God. But if you consider these commands more broadly, you consider that Paul, Paul calls women to be priestly, to, to love their husbands and children, to be holy and sensible, to be kind. To show Christ-like submission. Yes, there will be intellectual elites, radical feminists, who take issue with this and, and for whom this passage makes them very angry. But think of the effect, not on them, but on your neighbor. The person down the road. The person you interact with. The person you work with. The people on your street. If you live like this, 
What will the impact be on them? Do you think they'll malign the word of God as they see you loving your husband and loving your children, being kind, considerate, living a holy life? No, you'll become a great neighbor. They'll love having you as a neighbor. They're not going to malign the word of God. If anything, they're going to say, wow, what has had this effect on you? So that you can be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. To speak about the gospel of grace. To speak about the work of Jesus Christ and how your life has been completely changed because of what Jesus Christ did when he came to this world. Women who live submissive lives shine with a beauty that doesn't come from outward adornment, but comes from within. Shines with the grace of God that changes the heart of women. These women shine with the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. As the grace of God breaks in and, and changes your life and redefines your life and your priorities and your desires, the net result is a beauty, a, a holy beauty that brings attention, not ultimately to the women who shine with it, but brings attention to the word of God, brings attention, yes, to the son of God, the word incarnate and to the savior, Jesus Christ, who has come to bring salvation to all men, to all women. Dear women, older and younger, the Lord Jesus Christ has a beautiful calling for your life. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.